The whole plan was do good work and you will get more good work to do. That was the strategy. We were all about, is it a good creative opportunity? Are we doing something distinct and meaningful? And it was completely built on that premise. There was no big idea. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. For more than 25 years, entrepreneur and chief creative Michael Jagger has advanced design and culture for leading brands and communities globally. Michael co-founded JDK Design and now Solidarity of Unbridled Labor here in Burlington, Vermont. Michael put the hipster and cool into Burlington long before we even knew we needed it. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber. And Dave Bradbury. Recording from the Fairpoint Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Welcome, Michael. Hello. Uh, Michael, let's just jump right in. We're, we're so excited to have you here. What do you absolutely love about design? What is it that grabs you that has made it your life's journey? Wow. You could have been a plumber, <laughs> for example, right? But you chose to. I love plumbing. Actually, I saw a great ad recently. There's a little plumber in all of us, I think. Have you seen that one with the plumber's crack uh, oh, that's good. TV spot? There's right actually there. a lot of design in plumbing, isn't there? Hitting a little close to home there here, is. folks. Let's move it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, that's a good, heavy question to start with. So why, so why design? Uh, I guess it sort of found me. I mean, how, how deep do you want to go? I can, uh, Why do you love it? We got time. Uh, I, I guess I love it because it, it does truly matter in the world. I, it's also, uh, design is everything. I mean, it is every single thing in the world is about design because it's about intention. Um, it's about the decisions you make, why you make them. That's essentially what design is. I mean, and there's a lot of different interpretations. People look at it as, some people see it as decoration. Some people see it as style. But for me, I think design is about intention. Uh, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? How are you doing it uniquely? That is essentially what design is about. And I kind of came to learn that over time. Um, and I... I don't know, the, the story of how I got to design is kind of a long and somewhat complex one, I guess, but maybe we'll get into that. Absolutely. I think that was a teaser, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the abridged version of, of the, how you get into the it? The abridged version? Uh, I got into design uh, because I guess I couldn't do math, and I, I don't know. I, I guess the, the... A default profession, was it? <laughs> I guess it was default. Uh, yeah, I guess accidental in a, in a sense. I, uh, I'm dyslexic pretty severely. My uh, reading happened really late. I still have issues with spelling, math. I'm, I'm frankly very surprised that they let me get out of high school because I was so just broken on the math front. Uh, but I thankfully managed to figure out that I could have some level of creativity or drawing. I won a, a drawing competition in second grade. And thankfully, my mother also had a little enough insight to be like, oh, I don't know, this drawing thing seems pretty interesting. Maybe you should, you should think about that. Uh, so I somehow found my, my way there. And, uh, and I truly was the kid in the back of the room who couldn't read, who couldn't spell, uh, I wasn't particularly funny or anything, so drawing became my thing, and I just was very uh, dedicated to it, and that was kind of the focus. My mother kind of helped feed that, as I mentioned, 
even when I got into uh, high school, there was a guy named Keith Gallup who still lives in Vermont. He's a, a painter here in, in Vermont. He lives in Georgia. Uh, he also uh, was someone that really had a profound effect on my life and realized that, you know, you know this, this art thing, you could maybe do something with that. And he would create opportunities that I could paint giant murals and, and things and just kind of help perpetuate the fascination with it. And my mother was always, you know, amazing with uh, film and art. You know, way back in the day, because I'm about 150 years old, you know, my mother would uh, be like, you know what, the film Badlands is going to be on at 2 o'clock in the morning on Thursday night. We should watch that. And, she, you know, she understood how important people like Terrence Malick were. And so film was a very important thing. Music was a very important thing uh, in my life. And I basically grew up on a farm in St. Albans, little, small, beautiful town, but I was just a farm kid. And I lived through album covers and music and the little bit of art that I could get and the films late at night that I'd watch with my mother and stuff. And, um, but album covers kind of were the catalyst. So that's where all this comes together is like, so this art thing and farm kit and all this. Album covers were like the portal to the future that I saw. And I was like, I want to do album covers. Cool. And it's like music totally changed my life. I mean, listening to... David Bowie and the Velvet Underground. I mean, I can remember the day I got Patti Smith horses and, you know, seeing, seeing the, the imagery and the sound convergence and all those things come together and poetry and art. And um, so that became my whole goal was to do that. I wanted to be either a, an illustrator or a painter doing album covers or something connected to music. And my Keith Gallup said, man, you should look at going to art school. So uh, I applied to one, one school, Dawson College in Montreal. I had this big, goofy portfolio. I think I'd been to Montreal once. And there was no algebra requirement? No algebra, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, I think the only math I had to do was my address and uh, as far as getting a number on a page. And uh, my dad drove me up to Montreal, and I managed to have a good interview, and I got into design school, and it kind of went from there. But I went in there as more as an artist, like an illustrator, a commercial illustrator, because I was going to, I mean, you know, again, my dream was album covers. And I kind of discovered design when I got into, into art school. Mm -hmm. um, I was super fortunate there that... Um, there was a lot, it was an English-speaking school, and it was a time when the French-English tension in, in Montreal was somewhat reasonable, uh, and the school was really thriving. But there were professors from Italy and Holland and New York and all, just all over, many countries and amazing cities all over the world. We had a just, I was there at the right moment, and they kind of unlocked in me an understanding of what typography could do and what concept could do and not just the ability to draw or paint or use photography. And that's when I started understanding, oh, design has purpose and intention and strategy and just started to figure that out. Uh, and of course the punk rock scene was happening and the clash was coming and sex pistols and like it was just a mad cool time. Awesome time. Well, I don't know if you picked up, but we actually stole the intro's question from uh, the movie Almost Famous. Ah, yeah. At the end, he's like, Russell, what do you love about music? Right? <laughs> That's true. <So>. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed him. Good, good yeah. call. Got him. Um, I was going to actually, the second question, you really talked about it. I was really from, a, from that sort of core design. You know, is it a, a nature or nurture 
sort of moment, right? You, mm -hmm. you were just born with this this sort of different perspective that you saw things. I mean, clearly you talked about being nurtured by your mother, by uh, uh, Peter Gallup, yeah. uh, by, by school. And I, I just, yeah. for the ones that really sort of differentiate and, and succeed, I mean, is it, do you just have to have it? Huh. That's a good question. I think, I mean, you, in whatever you do, if you can maintain curiosity, that's probably the most important ingredient. And I don't know, I'm just really interested. I think a lot of successful design is based on how curious you are. You, you have to be intrigued to learn about new things. I mean, that's another, I think another important defining thing. I, I believe that design, and I think what we're doing at Solidarity of Unbridled Labor is about design that is very diverse in what it can do. It's really about creating, creating positive change in the world and it's ideal. And that means you need to be willing to learn about different diverse categories and things and ideas. So it's, so I think that can be learned to a degree. I think you need to have an innate, you know, belief and curiosity in the value of it. But do, I do think that process that you use, you know, sort of this checklist each week, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go here and read that or look there. Like, I know I force myself to read obscure trade journals, <laughs> you know, biology and, and, and just oddness just to look for patterns. Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, I don't know that I forced myself to do that. I mean, a lot of people are intrigued by like what, you know, what are people's ways that they find inspiration and things. I, I mean, I don't want it to sound cliche or anything, but I really think it's everywhere. It's like, if you're, if you're truly curious and interested, you can channel into certain things and you know you the trade journals may work for you I mean there's but you can see it everywhere I mean you can find things I'm sure you find ideas that use synapse from all different kinds of people you meet you probably meet so many people and I think that's a lot of it is understand that everyone is interesting everything is interesting if you can cross fertilize ideas uh, that's really I think what it's all about at least for me it's a very free associative thing i've uh i've actually done a couple of experiments in presentation where uh trying to show people some of how the creative process works at least for me i a lot of people do it very differently but it is very free associative for me because i because i was never an exceptionally gifted reader or you know dealing with numbers and words and data and you know statistics and all that stuff I used a lot of imagery and, and just creating these sparks from different things. So I will, like, I could look at a ton of things or just walk down the street and you can, like, piece this idea will spark to that. And what if that type went here or this word hit here? And you can just create, you can have dreams that become ideas. I mean, I literally have had, I've had dreams that have become Burton ads. It, it's like, it's everywhere. Ideas are everywhere. I dream of landing a big air. Like I used to dream about skateboarding. I mean, I, before I had a skate ramp, I, you know, I would just watch Bones videos and stuff, and I would dream I was skating. And, and then I actually got a ramp and built it behind my house, and it was extremely hard. But well, super addictive. About, <laughs> Incredibly like, addictive. The visualization of stuff, you know, like you yeah. have to see yourself doing something in order to do it successfully, which I totally believe. But I think that kind of works mm -hmm. together with coming up with design ideas as well. Um, I'm just yeah. curious. I, one of my yeah. favorite questions of, of successful people is, do you have a certain ritual or something that you do every day um, that if you don't do, you'll be totally thrown off and, and kind of can't go about your day? Wow. Breathing. 
<laughs> I guess. I, I not really. I I don't know. I Bikram? guess my, Bikram, I guess maybe? Bikram is probably of the of the last few years. <laughs> it's like yeah, if I can, yeah, if I can get my uh, yoga experience in. That's that's pretty important right now, but I guess it varies over time. But I don't know. I don't know that I've ever had any specific ritual. Just open your eyes and open your mind and keep breathing. Yeah, some people don't <laughs> breathe, so that's true. I mean, I, I, that's a very good point. They yeah. they, they don't understand. That's a big understand. yoga thing. I think I've seen that in the walls at Bikram. Right? Yeah, breathe. Not understanding how important that is. Right. That's very true. It makes all the difference. Absolutely. So. Um, you co-founded uh, JDK Design, mm-hmm. okay, and can you just, we're, we're curious about sort of that trajectory of the company. It got, I think you almost had 100 folks at one point. Mm-hmm. More than that. More than that. But just just mm-hmm. sort of give us a little synopsis of that, and then how that mm-hmm. ended up sort of shaping your, your conscious choice to, to do something mm-hmm. different with, with solidarity mm-hmm. of unbridled labor. All right. Well, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting journey. Um, hmm. So I, I can flow on that for a little bit. Yeah, great. <laughs> but if you uh, and you can, if you want to, if you want to sort of interject and ask questions, then let's we can go for that. But yeah, I can give you the the essence of of what that journey looked like. Um, so JDK was Jagger De Paula Camp Design. Uh, Jagger, of course, was me. De Paula is my wife, Giovanna. That's her maiden name. We met in design school back in 78. And, um, and the Kemp is David Kemp. And we were, so we were partners for about 20 years, maybe a little, little more than that. Uh, and Jagger Design had started effectively in the basement of our house in Williston, where the skate ramp was that I had talked about. And uh, so this is, I don't know, 25 years ago or so. Uh, and I had uh, you know, come out of design school, moved to Burlington, so I'll go back a little a little bit further, but had moved to Burlington and was really just pit stopping here. My whole theory was I wanted to, uh, I was just going to stop in Burlington for a year, save a little money. I would, wanted to move to New Orleans because I saw the film Easy Rider and Pretty Baby, and I loved the architecture and I loved jazz, and I thought New York was a cliche and L.A. was too expected. So I was like, I'm going to go to this mid-sized city that's super cool and where Dennis Hopper went and filmed and did acid, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, and then I never got there. So it was, I was here for a year, and uh, I worked with uh, a person that was uh, very, very important uh, in my career, David Griffin, who helped create the whole South End Art Hop and all that stuff. And David was a solo designer, singular singular little shop he had an office above the ice house rick davis was there beside working beside us as well so i worked with david and he uh he taught me how to use a stat camera well and he was just a young good craft based designer and i I worked with david for about a year um and he paid me with uh, groceries when i needed food he would take me to the grocery store and would would pay me with some some food uh, which was fine. I mean, I was learning on the job. That's awesome. But a lot of designers were looking for food in the early days, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, and there weren't many of us back then. I mean, it was like Lynn Severance and Tony Sini, and you know, there was a number of us around. But I was working with David and doing my illustration and working with a lot of bands at night and stuff. And um, so anyway, that that uh, moment about a year after that, I was kind of like, 
I could do this. I could figure, I was naive enough to think like I could have a design studio. So this young punk kid thinking like, sure, I'll, I'll just figure it out. So I started just doing doing my own thing and kind of it all it all sort of built momentum from there. And uh, over time, did enough projects and just had enough presence and had enough uh, oblique ideas that somehow David Kemp uh, had come up from New York. He was living in Stowe because he was doing work for Vermont Life. He had a design studio in New York called Harmon Kemp, which was with a guy named Marshall Harmon. And he had a designer named Lucille Tanassis, who was a graduate from Cranbrook who did incredibly progressive typography and design. So David had this little corporate identity firm in New York. And thankfully, he heard my name two or three times and then found his way, uh, found his way to me. And we started doing work together. And he and Joe and I kind of, from there, built, uh, built a studio. And he actually left for a while. We were in my basement in Williston on the little, a little dead-end road with our skate ramp in the woods. And there was, uh, I don't know, there was probably... 10 people in the basement. And, and, uh, and about a year later, we had 15 people in our basement with FedEx trucks raging in. Were you on AOL dial-up then, you think? Or, uh... Our whole art <laughs> world was a copier. It was a photocopier. Off-the-grid design. Camera. I love it. And you know, we were just skating in the woods. And at that point, that's when Jake and I connected. And he was, he was in southern Vermont in the barn pressing boards with 15 or 20 people. Right. Jake Burton Carpenter. It was yep. Jake, yeah. And then we're, you know, we're in the basement of our house making board graphics with the copier and the sack camera. And, um, and it, it kind of happened from there. So a lot of it, as, as always, is about hard work, the right moments, the right combination of people. Uh, you know, there's these very special convergent moments that, that happen, and that, that was one of them. But then we kind of grew up together, and Burton happened to choose not to move to the West Coast, thankfully for all of Vermont, and, right. and thankfully for snowboarding, and moved to Burlington. Uh, and we really grew up together, and that was a very catalytic kind of moment that was defining for JDK. But we obviously all were also working with Nike and, you know, Xbox and... Converse and a lot of pretty amazing brands along the way. So was it an intentional decision then? I mean, clearly you had to move out of the basement at some point, right? Yeah, we kind of got kicked to, out to, of the basement. Did you <laughs> just, I mean, was it just the business just kept coming or did you say, you know, we want to be a hundred person or 40 or 50 million dollar no company way. or some goal or just sort of absolutely not the project that sort of grabbed you and not the plan not there was there was no master strategy there was nothing the whole plan was do good work and you will get more good work to do that was the strategy we were all about is it a good creative opportunity are we doing something distinct and meaningful and it was completely built on that premise there was no big idea the only reason we ended up scaling and ended up going to New York is because uh, one of the designers who was very important, again, I mean, JDK is a phenomenon that happened because of a massive number of magical people. And I, I always look at the metaphor of bands that, like, there's these moments that, that bands come together, whether it's The Clash or it's The Beatles or... Whoever, whoever you point to, like there's this moment in time that culture, point of view, perspective, attitude, the fabric of the people, uh, the cultural zeitgeist, it just comes together. And they happen 
you know, we've been fortunate that it's happened a number of times. I think with with Burton, with Xbox, with what's happening, frankly, with Mamava right now. Yep. We're doing a lot of work with Patagonia right now. Patagonia as a brand is changing the way the world sees what ideas and what business can do as a cause. So we, there's these moments in time where a convergence of people and energy come together. I mean, if I started to name names, it would I'd never be able to name everybody that we were fortunate enough to be collaborative with it would just it would be a list a thousand long or more i mean it's it's just mind so uh, often i'll kind of quip to folks i mean sam and i meet with between 250 and 300 startup teams a year Mm -hmm. right pretty awesome and here in vermont and a lot of them are just starting out building their teams and they sort of say listen you need a uh, a hacker a hustler and a hipster Mm -hmm. right you need a hacker or someone to build it the hustler to sell it and the hipster to just make it just so desirable or or, or a must-have product. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sounds like you had the hipsters covered mm-hmm. in spades, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, you know, who who played different roles? You know, in terms of maybe the the operations side, did you did you bring in outside talent along the way? Like, uh, yeah, so that you could pursue what where where you found meaning and joy and and. Um. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was all pretty organically done. I mean, certainly as things began to uh, to scale, we did have play people in roles as far as operations and and things. And you know, when you get to a certain point, you do need to think a little more deeply about HR, and you know, because life gets complicated and human beings are complicated and. And we were very young and very wild and in uh, and, and how we created. Uh, so, But we had people from all over the world, and we had people that would move from Tokyo to work with us. I mean, it was, it was a very uh, interesting convergence of, of people in time. Um, so, yeah, I think there, there were those different roles, uh, but it was all pretty intuitive. Again, it wasn't some big master plan. And the reason I think I was starting to talk about New York, I mean, the reason we ended up in New York is because one of the very important founding designers, David Koval, who happens to be my cousin and is one of the most genius, creative people I've ever met, he really wanted to live in New York. He'd been here for you know ten or fifteen years, and it's like I guess we'll open an office, right? <laughs> so we were like, okay, let's do it. And you know, naively, it wasn't again, it wasn't any big plan. It was like, okay, well, we do a bunch of New York work in New York, so we work with MTV and stuff. Sure, let's let's do that. So we you know pieced that together, and we were in New York for ten years, and then we uh, and the same thing happened in Portland, Oregon. We were doing a ton of work with Lululemon in Vancouver. We were working with Nike. We were doing a lot with Xbox. So it was like, yeah, we have people that want to live in Portland, so let's get a space in Portland. And, and, and we were there for seven or eight years. So it was, uh, and now, I don't know, half of, half of Burlington has moved to Portland. Yeah, you know, we have members go back a lot and of, forth. A lot right? of friends that travel back and totally. forth. So, Michael, can you talk a little bit about how um, Solidarity of Unbridled Labor kind of was born out of JDK? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was. I was sort of get, getting to that, I guess, in a roundabout way. But yeah, so it's a long story, uh, I'm sure. It, it is a long story. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, uh, very incredible one that still blows my mind. Uh, yeah. So anyway, JDK got built up. I mean, at one point, it was I don't know, it's probably 130 or 40 people, and uh, and we don't, you know, I don't regret any of it. It was a really beautiful and amazing thing. Uh, but it also was an incredibly large and complex machine. Uh, 
it demanded a lot of business to go through it. It was a lot to keep everybody fed. And it was interesting that, you know, a lot of it was family. It was people, you know, we have so many people that met, got married, had kids, and, you know, in our culture over 20 years. So it was very family. But, you know, it had scaled to a, a pretty large entity. Uh, and for me personally and for a lot of other people, but for me it was, you know, being on planes about 300 days a year. For the last decade of it, I was just constantly away from my family. I was never here. I was just project to project, HR issue to HR issue, recruiting new business. It was a where's the illustration? Yeah, you lost me here, right? Yeah, and trying to and like oh, you need to try to have some ideas now and then as well. So it was uh, again, but you you sort of go. There wasn't any plan. It was just sort of like yeah, you know, isn't isn't that what you want to be working with Nike and Xbox and all these giant things? So it kind of went along, but there was something that happened. Uh, a number of dimensional things changed that were really interesting. One was the recession which affected everybody everywhere, uh, and it leveled a lot of studios. Uh, interestingly, we didn't really get hurt by it dramatically. We had a very solid reputation. We had great brand relationships, so we actually didn't, didn't get too impacted when that hit, which uh, was, was, we were very thankful for, but it was kind of surprising, but we were like, okay, we kind of weathered that, weathered that well. Uh, and but what it did was it changed in particular the creative industry because it leveled a lot of studios businesses of course were hamstrung so budgets that were a million dollars before were now half that and anybody and everybody would line up to do them Mm. so suddenly the whole landscape shifted and a lot of super talented people were working in their basements or working in cafes and teaming up and a lot of the best design buyers were realizing Oh, I could just call these three people that I used to work with at this agency. Go direct, right? Yeah, I can just, I can just do great work, no problem, and I don't need to do anything other than hire them, hire them for six months. So it changed the whole texture and this whole entrepreneurial world we're all in now, which you know, Vset and Karma Birdhouse are all part of. It was really born of that catalytic moment which was a fascinating thing. And so I was watching that and really appreciating the good work that was going on there and respecting what was happening and then kind of looking you know, down the barrel of what was happening, like sitting in another metal tube flying to some meeting <laughs> and thinking like, okay, do I really truly want to be doing this for another 10 years, trying to continue to feed this machine when it's very clear that the whole world is shifting culture's changing, uh, the way people are creating is different, uh, are we working with the people that we want to work with? Uh, another thing was more and more, you know, being, you know, a key group of people that became the, you know, the, the heart of Solidarity of Unbridled Labor. It was about work that really mattered. It was the cause. It wasn't just selling more stuff. It was about really meaningful work was what we were all interested in and creating our own ideas like Mamava and things like that is what we were interested in. So, you know, using design to create positive change in the world was the heart of what we were very focused on and believed the future needed to be for us. So uh, we looked at that and we're like, we're designers, we design experiences, we need to design the future that we believe in. And the future we believed in was a complete 
reimagination and transformation of an idea. It wasn't junior JDK. It wasn't a downside. It was like control alt delete. Total. Yeah. It was kill what you know and design with intention the future that you want. And that intention was not flying on planes everywhere, not doing jobs you don't want to do, not working with people who are managed by fear. It was a complete shift. And we bet everything. And I, frankly, I was at a point where, and I know a number of the other people who I have incredible respect for, Christine Dodson, Sasha Mayer, John Siddle, uh, I mean, it goes the list of, of, of solidarity leaders, Liz Adams, you know, people that I'd worked with for decades. And, of course, Giovanna's uh, support and belief that we could transform the idea of JDK. I mean, she was one of the original founders uh, of, of JDK and, and also, of course, an, an owner in solidarity of unbridled labor. And her, her belief in this transformation was, was really essential to what we were able to do. Uh, and the support of a lot of other friends that really committed and understood what we were trying to create going forward was uh, was really important to what guided us forward and ahead. It was believed to the core. Like, I truly was like, I will go back and work on the farm before we will continue to do work we don't want to do for people we don't want to do it for. And it it's that kind of conviction. It's sort of like conviction never tested is no freaking conviction at all. And that's what solidarity was about. And that's also what the whole name was about. So it wasn't just some little downsizing. It was, this was a redesign of intention and purpose. And that's what Solidarity of Unbridled Labor was born of. That's great. I mean, we talk about entrepreneurship. It's about timing, right? When to yeah. get in and maybe when to get out. Yeah. Because conditions or priorities have changed. So, so Solidarity was born. And also the, the Karma Birdhouse was hatched as well. Can you mm -hmm. just let our, our millions of listeners know what, what that is? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a multi-dimensional idea uh, where we had, um, you know, this Solidarity of Unbridled Labor was the design entity. Uh, the building that we're in is the Karma Birdhouse idea. Uh, and it's basically a, a co-working cultural super collider. Is it's really like the coolest the building in Burlington by far. <laughs> yeah, a, great coffee a, in the cool. cafe. Yeah. You got, you got well, a we have, cool I mean, spot, you know yeah. what's cool is in our community, there's, there's a lot of companies and people yeah. that, that have gone back and forth. And I think, yeah. man, we're in that day and age. You talk about fluid, fluid workers, fluid lives. Oh, it's very real. Uh, and I it's exciting. You, you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Super exciting. And the, uh, yeah, Karma Birdhouse is, uh, it's an interesting experience. I mean, that we basically took the building that was the headquarters of JDK. It was a 40, it's a 45,000 square foot building down on the waterfront in Burlington. We had conserved the entire thing over the last 20 years. I mean, when we were fortunate enough to acquire it, I mean, it had no roof. There were pigeons flying around it, and it was an abandoned building, really. So now, you know, we've been able to fortunately be able to craft a, a culture that's really unique there, and it's something that Giovanna's kind of sets the, the vibe and runs the operation every day, but really has that cultural kind of tone alive every day and has done an incredible job with that. And over 20 years, we just very slowly redesigned and rebuilt the entire thing top to bottom, and now it houses about 60 companies, including ours, 1% for the Planet, Mamaba, Terry Bikes, 
the Young Writers Club uh, or Pony Young Express, Writers Project, Next Pony Capital, Express, two of our portfolio companies. Yeah, exactly. Right? So Margaret Dibble was Budnitz yeah. started there when they yeah. moved from from Colorado. I mean, we've had some really fun people there and have a, have an incredible community. We have a gallery, uh, the Karma Birdhouse Gallery, where we're constantly inspiring and bringing ideas through there. The cafe, Malianero Cafe, is, uh, again, it's a commuter cycling hub, coffee, culture, collider. Um, it's just a, a fun, fun place, but it's, it's because of that sort of entrepreneurial soul that's been thankfully energized in the world yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a hub for that it's incredible it's it's just such a welcoming environment you know I've been there a few times with you know some of your various members and and love mag too and it's just it's a really special space I don't think there's really anything like it in Burlington and and you guys have really have hit it out of the park it's awesome yeah, we're, we're I, hide, I hide out there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have um, to get you to Iskra. Actually, one oh, thing I didn't mention sure. was the Iskra. So we have a nonprofit silkscreen studio in the basement as well, which is an, is an intriguing part of it because it's it's a hands-on public creative space, uh, which is kind of a fascinating thing. And we had started Iskra about 15 years ago, but it's really blossoming because of the, you know, the sort of explosion of public activism yeah. that's happening and, and the desire to create. It's, I collect uh, the, the higher ground posters for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So could you They're just talk, you mentioned Mamava twice. Mm-hmm. Just maybe just quickly just mention, you know, how that was, was, we was, love was born Mama and, yeah. you know, how it ties into solidarity and, yeah, that's an interesting one. How are we doing timing-wise? Are you guys oh, we're going to go okay? way over, but yeah, so that's why when, when I say briefly, <laughs> I sort of mean it, you know. <laughs> if, I don't, do you, if you need to, if you need me to go a little shorter. Oh, we'll cut time. you off. Don't worry. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, I, yeah, the Mama Boss story is an interesting because it's sort of a bridging story. Uh, Sasha Mayer and Christine Dodson. Christine is actually the, the managing director of Solidarity of Unbridled Labor and one of the co-founders of Mama Va, and she helps Mama Va as well. Sasha Mayer is one of the co-founders of Mama Va, and she was also our head strategist at JDK for 20 years, and she helped to create the vision for Solidarity of Unbridled Labor. So there's this beautiful fabric of connection. But Mama Va was born of... All those metal tubes I talked about flying on, well, Christine and Sasha would often be on those metal tubes and be flying to meetings and, and doing strategy and doing different things. And they had families, and they were young moms. And, uh, you know, they once they had, had children, they were breastfeeding and trying to really maintain what they believed was the right path health-wise for, for their families and their children. And they were in bathrooms in O'Hare and airports all over the world, and they were in closets in meetings uh, trying to do what they believed in, uh, and it was really challenging. And we would be on these planes together, and at one point along the way, Sasha and Christine were like, we're a design studio. Can't design help solve this problem? Like, what if we did pop-up architecture that you could just go into and they were these nice little quiet spaces like and that's what it was born of they lived the experience I mean most great design is really guided by empathy and this is a classic and beautiful example of that they just saw a need created a cause and said design can help create positive change in this and that's where Mama Va was born then it's all about relationships so we did the whole 
you know, prototyping and build, building these ridiculous things that look like outhouses made of plywood <laughs> and like all kind. Of, we would build. You, you just described our quiet pods in the back. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah, outhouses of plywood. But you you got to do it. And we, yeah. you know, we built those kind of freaky, crazy things. Sasha's dad is a sculptor, and he's incredibly talented. And he he came and helped us construct these prototypes and things. And uh, but we finally got one figured out. We worked with a guy named David Jacks, who's in Springfield, Vermont. Uh, he has a company called Conrad, and he actually we make Mama Vaz in in Vermont. And he uh, he actually figured out what became now the first iconic design. But Gene Richards, who is the head of the airport, was uh, a dear friend of mine, and he had the vision. And we explained to him what this was. And interestingly, the Burlington Airport had there was an, an incident that happened about 15 years ago where a woman was escorted off a plane because she was breastfeeding her baby it happened in Burlington which I had a national explosion yes. yeah. and Gene just got it and he was like I will put the first one of those in the Burlington airport cool. because that's what the right thing to do is and it was perfect that Burlington was the place that did it first wow that is cool it was really beautiful it's so awesome flying around the country now and, and seeing these uh, Mama Love yeah, pods they're everywhere. all over Atlanta. They're in. They're everywhere. Florida and growing. I mean, Mama Va is really, really thriving, uh, and we've got support from Fresh Tracks yep. and uh, you know, Karn and his team are just absolutely incredible. I mean, the the feed that the convergence of knowledge and everything that's coming together now is really, really beautiful, um, and it's an idea that matters. Uh, uh, so anyway, that's the story of Mama Va, the beginning of the story of Mama Va. Beginning. Yeah, it's um, really just starting. So, uh, how do you handle failure? Have you failed? Oh, like, like, what's the biggest F you can think of? And that's a that's a really interesting topic. the The whole failure thing. Uh, I'm actually I'm really glad you brought that up. It's uh, you know, there's this whole movement going on where, and there, there, and it's born of of uh, idea and innovation development of like fail fast and often. And I and I get that in that context, I do like it. It's sort of like rapid prototype, try things. You're you're going to stumble, but you're going to learn things. I totally get that, and I and I do believe in it. Uh, but it's interesting that there's this momentum building around. The idea of of failure happening, and in in particular, like in Silicon Valley, they're embracing this thing. It's almost like failure is this badge of honor, and I just don't believe that. I just don't believe in that. I think if you start thinking that your resume is improved because you can show I failed on five <laughs> startups, that's insanity. Yeah, like that is insanity. That if people are starting to think that way. There's books being written about, it. and I so the fail fast and in prototyping and everything. Yes, you do need to have failure because you will learn from that. But when it starts to become this badge of honor, particularly when other people's money is at stake, right. I just don't believe in that philosophy. I'm just like, failure it's like sort that of our, is lame. It's sort of the Ricky Bobby rule, right? If you're not first, you're last. You know, right? <laughs> yeah. Talladega Nights. Oh, uh, yeah, interesting. Um, I, so anyway, failure, yeah, it's a big topic. I, I totally agree. I mean, I, it is like, you know, you see these articles all the time that's like, top five reasons, like, it's okay to fail. And I feel like that's everywhere right now. It's like, 
trendy to fail. Yeah, there's a lot of young entrepreneurs who think that it's cool to fail. I really think, I really, but you can see it. It's like resume stuff. And it's like you're, you are accepting other, you know, money from other people and investment and trust and everything. Like, but it's failure without remorse or, I mean, I, Malianero, you you want an honest example, the cafe idea that we created, which is still happening. It's a key part of the Karma Birdhouse. The original idea is that it is a commuter cycling hub and cafe where coffee and cycling are this incredible cultural synapse. And I believe culture is super affected by cafes and the conversations that happen in them. They changed the world. If I could go back in time, I would love to have been in Cabaret Voltaire and be able to be there in Zurich when everything was happening and the data and surrealism being born and everything. It changes the world. And the Malinero idea was born of that. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing, but we have struggled. And it was you know, my madness of thinking it should be an underground cafe, like Cafe Wa, where Dylan played and all this stuff. And we put it in the basement of the building. And it was so that, underground. Yeah. It was like the, the best cafe nobody could find. Right. And I thought, oh, that, no, that'll be good. We'll just, we're going to pull the right people together and we'll create a great experience. And there were a number of really good friends and people who, who trusted that idea. Uh, and invested in that idea, and it has—it's been a struggle. We, when we moved it to the front of the building, and the Karma Birdhouse concept happened, it certainly gained visibility, and it's been uh, more effective in that way. But because during that time, the whole transition from JDK happened, and everything, there was just a lot of things that really hurt the focus and what we were able to do with it. And to me, that is an incredibly painful failure that I really feel personally, I let a lot of people down and I'm still desperately trying to rebuild and trying to keep that idea Jesus, meaningful. We, we're going to go get a latte or something down there. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 uh, thank you for sharing that too. That's, Cause you know, I will say just thinking about VSET, you know, we didn't have it figured out. I mean, it yeah. probably took five years when this organization started to kind of hit stride. Our initial bets were sort of build it, they will come. Didn't happen. Um, a lot of community people helped us. We learned. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, we look for entrepreneurs that, that really have resiliency or grit or, yeah. it, you know, I, I like to say it's not how high they, they bounce. Or rather, mm-hmm. sort, rather, it's how well they bounce, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to oh, have that great sort, analogy. Of, yeah. sort of... Uh, um, but that's the right kind of, uh, you know, that's the right kind of fail is like if you, as long as you're learning and you're, you're transparent about it. And I think that's the right way to go about it. And you evolve, um, you know, I mean, I think we've seen a lot of our most successful companies just it's night and day from when they started, you know, they're an entirely different business sometimes. Yeah. You've got to be willing to re reshape your thinking and, um, yeah, that'd be. And, and there's a way to fail too. I mean, you know, we've we've lost money through companies we've been investors in, uh, people we've worked with for years, and it's really tough. And I, I'd say some of the best CEOs uh, have failed, and it was how they failed. Mm-hmm. You know, they they chose the the way to wind down to take care of vendors or employees or to write the letter right. to the investor. Hey, sorry, we came close. Mm-hmm. You know, here's that 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 loop. Um, yeah. 
I think we got time. Let's for talk one about more. success. Yeah, success. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a couple, couple quick ones here, Michael. All right. Tell us hard truth. What's the VSET brand like out there? VSET brand. Uh, it is a cool space with smart people and pushing at the boundaries of cultural change. That's, I mean, that's how I see it, and that's the buzz that I, mean, I we're going to let you out of here. Just tell us the truth. Right? <laughs> if you really think that, that's cool. You know. I, really, I really do believe that. I mean, the fact that, you know, I'm a huge Marguerite Dibble fan. And Who you know, isn't? Game, game yeah, Theory seriously. as one example. And the fact that she, uh, one of, of many of the talented people that you have here, it's like that's at the forefront of cultural change. It's people like that. And you've created, I think, VSET, and thankfully, I think with Conrad Birdhouse, we're trying to do Absolutely. the same thing, is creating the conditions for meaningful ideas to happen. And I think that's what you're doing here. It's real. I mean, you can see it. And, and that's a lot of the art form of it, is like, how do you create the conditions for, for really differentiating and unique ideas to, to be born and to be realized? Uh, and you're doing that. You should be damn proud of it. We're, we're going to keep trying, I think. So thank you. And yeah, and it's been really fun to see the ecosystem here, you know, find its way, right? Yeah. I, I feel like there's a little bit of momentum and, and it's growing. We haven't screwed it up. It never sleeps. That's, I think you got to, it's your, it's part of a living idea. I think that's what you need to remember. Because a lot of people forget they want they want businesses to be these little boxes that you can control, and it's like it's the antithesis of that. It's like no, it's this raging river that never sleeps. So true. That's what an idea is. I try to remind myself that yeah. daily. You know, when I'm yeah. trying to get control of things, I'm like, there's no control here. Yeah, you can have intention of what you're trying to do. That's but right. It is a yes. flowing thing. Yes. So. yes, we have a we have a purpose, not mm-hmm. not a. 17 point detailed yeah. thing <laughs> locked in. And uh, Sam, cool. Want to go magic wand? Is it time? Oh, what's that? Magic wand. I could go. What's your favorite Clash song? I'm a huge Clash fan. Wow. Lose this skin. Gotcha. Mine's Spanish Bombs. I think uh, no, I, that one heavy. first came that's to me when I was one. in Central America in the 80s and Reagan, and I was just like, just. Yeah. Awesome. There's so many. Yeah, it's hard to. Sorry, like, to put you London on the Calling, spot. probably every single cut is a genius piece of writing and arrangement. And Lose This Skin actually was sung by Time and Dog, but I just always really dug that song. We'll have to have a jam sesh next time you're over here. Yeah, we got Swale yeah, in the house, right? Yeah, we do. Speaking of album art, it's good stuff. All right, Sam, hit him. All right, Michael, if you could change one thing in Vermont today, what would you change? Magic wand, so. One thing. Give me a broad one thing. Uh, I have an opinion about what Vermont's magic wand should light up. Um, um, can I spin on this for a minute? Please. Go, go if for I it. could change one thing in Vermont? Yeah. I guess it would be about um, creating a, a synthesis uh, so it would be a moment of third-mindedness is what would happen. If I could take my magic wand, I would take the group of people who see the beauty in Vermont's bucolic countryside and the beautiful mountains and all the amazing nature that's here and the environment who believe that is Vermont, and including the cows and the beautiful cows, and the people who see technology and innovation and the, the dealer-like 
phenomenons that have happened uh, and who see that as the future of Vermont and realize that you're both kind of right, but the idea of Vermont is not technology or cows or agriculture. It is actually freedom of thought. And the third mind idea would be to help people understand that the, the concept and the beauty of the idea of Vermont is that transcendent concept. It is about freedom of thought. Vermont is born of exactly that. Ethan Allen was a freaking punk. He was a troublemaking, <laughs> disruptive punk. And that is right at the beginning of it. And Vermont has always had this sort of free-minded, rebellious thought and, and intention. And whether it's politics, you know, from Bernie and whatever path, whether it's Ben and Jerry saying take ice cream and change the world, or whether it's Jake and Donna saying stand sideways against every freaking boring thing that's happening in the world, or Jeffrey Hollander and Alan Newman with Seventh Generation, or Linda Kelleher with creating Image and Keller Samets, uh, you know, Hinda Miller with Jog Bra I mean, these are moments of freedom of thought where people just had this transcendent thing and said, I'm going to take a different path. I don't care what other people think. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was a Vermont mindset. It's just a different way of seeing the world and understanding you can do what you want the way you want to do it. And it's not caught up in the machine that New York and other places often become. So that would be my magic wand move is like move to Vermont as this freedom of thought place and and get the chips off our shoulders like we're doing really meaningful work here and I don't think we're bold enough to tell people what, what we're doing we're not we're not amplifying that news well mm -hmm. enough um, and with technology and everything the way it is like the the most brilliant people in the world could choose to be here uh, and they should be uh, it's a it's a magnificent yeah, I agree. place I mean, to be we have the defective DNA We've chosen to be here, right? And there's 320 million other Americans that say we're wrong, right? This is our tribe, in a yeah. way, right? And, and it's a and unique I, one. I, I love how you put that, Dan, uh, Michael. Dave, yeah. I don't usually it's play totally favorites. Unique. That's my favorite answer, right there. The red oh, panda was pretty it. cool. Wow. Marguerite Dibble wanted red pandas in the woods. She thought that oh, would really? be a species reintroduction. I guess introduction. They probably have never wow. been. Yeah, I, be oh, that's that would that would be um, uh, iconic. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for for taking time out of uh, your your busy day and for you know hitting the pause button on your curiosity to oh. sort of share. This your has been background. a great morning. Yeah, really, really fun. Well, come back and visit soon, please. I will. I will see you guys soon. Hopefully, I'll see you at uh, the cafe. Yeah, we you gotta have a little a little party too, a little like karma V set party. We should. Oh, right? I would. We've been doing ping pong slams. Do you guys play ping pong? Uh, we haven't hit ping pong, but we're about to unleash some potluck action on the roof of the building. Oh snap! Boom! Yeah, <laughs> so, we're bringing the sunscreen company. So we could uh, maybe we should get a ping pong table up on the roof. Oh, that would be we so could converge cool. Our, uh, we might have. We'll, get, we'll bring a lot of extra balls for that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, uh, podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and even the accidental entrepreneur. Series made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Fairpoint Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VSET, that's V C E T. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to work.